And joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a delightful day. It's uh, sun is shining a bit. It's really windy here. I expect it is over there too. So it's uh, we, you know we have to have a little issue with every day because there is there is nothing that's perfect. Well, it's always the issue is always around the weather in in the Midwest, isn't it? It is, and it's a good thing because I I say often, you know, it'd be real hard for Minnesotans to talk to one another <laughs> if it were not for the weather because we would just stand there and kind of look at one another for a while. But with weather, we can always say, oh, man, the weather. And then all of a sudden we're friends and we have a nice talk. And uh, You just wonder how many friendships were actually started during a discussion about the weather. I'm thinking a lot. You know, it's a good thing we live in a place with four seasons, too, because just think, what will we talk about the rest of the year if we didn't have these different seasons to to discuss did you say four seasons or 40 seasons i said four but maybe you're right <laughs> yeah we sure get a lot of them don't and uh, I, I say this often to people uh from when i'm out of state will say what's an average winter like in minnesota <laughs> and i say i have no clue and i say well don't you live there i said all my life but we've we've never had an average winter yet so uh, the other day, the boy, the rain was coming down in buckets with without any buckets actually being involved. You know, we always say it comes down in buckets, but there's no buckets falling down. It's just like when it rains, cats and dogs. There's there's no cats and dogs falling down, but there were ducklings, goslings, and poults out and about. There's an old saw that says swallows and sparrows cannot understand the ambitions of swans. You know, and I really doubt that's true because each species wants to raise a family. Dame's Rocket, folks, look now. Man, Dame's Rocket is lining roadsides and wooded edges. The flowers bloom in shades of purple, pink, and or white. And the plant is exotic and invasive. Oh, is it really? I just think that it is absolutely gorgeous. And for the longest time, I thought that was some kind of a phlox. And I said to my husband, look at wild phlox. And he said, no, they're, what do you call them? The, um, the Dame's Rocket. Dame's Rocket, yeah. So they, but they kind of remind you of phlox, don't they? Oh, very much And so. they're beautiful, but invasive, apparently. And if you look at them, if, if somebody, if you're up close, if you look at the flowers closely, Dame's Rocket flowers have four petals, ah. and flocks have five, and okay. it matches the number of letters in its name, flocks. So Dame's Rocket has four, but I agree with you, Karen, that they are beautiful, and uh, particularly this time of year, it just seems like uh, when there's a, a lull in a lot of the blooming plants, and boy, they're just out there. And uh, yesterday I was at Flandreau State Park, and there were monarch butterflies flitting about the uh, Dame's Rocket a lot, looking for nectar. I saw a small bunny come out of the grass near the flowers. Uh, Cottontail rabbit mothers nurse the babies in a nest for a few minutes at dawn and dusk. And if you see a bunny... I get a lot of calls from people wondering about what to do with orphan rabbits. But, you know, if you see a little bunny and he's four to five inches long, you know, that isn't very long. And if its ears can stand up, it's weaned. It's independent. Uh, bunnies leave the nest when they're four to five weeks old. 
I watched a Baltimore Oriole male as it chased a blue jay that had likely ventured too close to a nest. I watched a uh, goldfinch pair fly in courtship circles. They made contact calls that sound like potato chip. Uh, the American goldfinch is a state bird of Iowa, New Jersey, and Washington. I listened to indigo bunting sing, fire, fire, where, where, here, here, see it, see it. And they make a little, oh, sound, and then they do a little uh, tick, tick, kind of, and I, uh, I don't know what I was thinking about, but I made one of those little tick sounds, and, and one of the little buntings flew right in by me. I didn't mean to irritate him, but I did. Uh, beautiful little bluebird. And a crow cawed and flew away. Now, you know, a person might say, I don't know many birds, but the crow is hard not to know. And it was an ordinary walk on an ordinary day, and the, the ordinary is a beautiful thing. I got wet, but it's a small price to pay to see a rainbow. I got a nice uh, letter from Jim Grady of uh, Fairmont. He said, a male Baltimore Oriole consistently chasing off a male orchard Oriole as well as other males of his own species. A female Baltimore Oriole was pulling apart an old Oriole nest made up mostly of old fishing line. The male watched from a nearby branch but made no effort to help. Yeah, see, ladies, how we are. That's And that's pretty much what the male Oriole does. He's uh, just kind of a guard, and he might sing. He might maybe singing about the whole process as she makes that nest. And they don't typically use, reuse old nests, but they will tear an old one apart and use it to build a new one. Uh, Jim said the female Oriole also tried pulling strands out of a small carpet remnant I used to kneel on. So while Jim was working, Oriole's trying to steal part of his carpet remnant. He said one morning both the male and female spent several minutes investigating a yellow-colored tool on my job site. My levels, the DeWalt power tools, and the radio, a spool of mason's line, and even a yellow-handled shovel. All this while I was five or six feet away. Saw a male bluebird feeding on bugs in the front lawn. First time he's seen one within the city limits of Fairmont. A rose-breasted grosbeak female was there every day to search for food on the front lawn. Most times she was right close to where I was building the new step. I'd see the male, but he always stayed high up in the tallest tree. And also a gray catbird loitered both inside and outside of an open garage door. I have uh, catbirds here, Jim, that are woofing down the grape jelly as if there were no tomorrow coming. Uh, Cynthia Nelson of Albert Lee seeing hummingbirds. Chad Nelson, or I'm sorry, Chad Hines of Mankato said Tom Dolan and I refound the white-eyed vireo at Flandreau State Park. We swung by a previously reported location for loggerhead shrikes in northern Blue Earth County and found one of the birds. John Nelson of Good Thunder said June 1st. I set up a game camera yesterday and got nice photos of two very large raccoons climbing around on my main feeder array. They did a nice job cleaning out the grape jelly receptacles, but did knock down one expensive seed feeder I neglected to remove to the garage. On the cornfield east side of Perch Lake this morning, this can be on yesterday, June 1st, one pair of Canada geese with six goslings and nearby another pair escorting 15, nine of which were a size larger than the other six. 
I'd seen a pine siskin at my feeder on May 21st, latest I've ever seen one here. Cardinals nested in a pine in front of our kitchen window this spring. We were able to find the nest over the weekend. Empty, we fear they may have hatched out a cowbird. We are feeding our eastern bluebird pair mealworms several times a day. The babies are a week old and doing well. Parents are having to evade a male robin to get their share of the worms. Two orchard and four Baltimore Oriole males coming to grape jelly occasionally. Hopefully all paired. I see females in the bushes foraging for insects, usually with a male and probably feeding babies. The black-capped chickadees I see are bug hunting and not coming to the seed feeders at all. Same with rose-breasted grosbeaks, which come for seeds only occasionally. And it happens with a, a lot of birds this time of year is when they have babies, they're looking for a lot of protein, so they, they move that diet over from maybe seeds and fruit over to uh, feeding them insects. Uh, Brian Smith of Sleepy Eye said he was at the Sleepy Eye Water Treatment Plant in their ponds, and there were two American avocets, uh, along with five redneck phalaropes, stilt sandpipers, and other peeps. Trent Robbins of North Mankato said, I just saw two white-faced ibises, ibi, on the pond by the dairy outfit north of Nicollet. They got up and flew to the east. Life bird for me, so it was exciting. Gus Davis sent me these interesting photos where he's trying to keep squatter barn swallows from uh, nesting around lights, and he hung some chains down, just little short pieces of chain, just uh, bolted them or screwed them into the uh, part of the building there, and they keep... Anything like that that will hang down, it, it discourages them, and it's working. Uh, Dave and Deb Vetter of St. Peter said, Hi, Al. Is it just us, or does there seem to be a higher number of cottontail rabbits this year? While driving the gravel roads near our home around St. Peter, we encounter many rabbits sitting on the gravel, both baby and full size. Just curious as to your observation. Uh, boy, Dave and Deb, my yard is busy with bunnies, too. I look out there now, and I see them all times. No matter when I look out, I see them, so that means there's a lot. And it's it's amazing when you think about it, because each year about 80% of our cottontail population dies from weather, predators, or disease. So that remaining 20%, amazing again, that they are capable of repopulating the landscape. So if you think about it, fewer than 1 in 100 rabbits lives to its third year. And cottontail numbers, like most animal populations, run in cycles. The population will build up to a high level, and then disease and predators and poor reproduction drop it to a low level. And this may continue for two or three years before a slow increase begins to build numbers back to another high. And I was taught that peak populations usually occur at intervals of about 10 years. But Within this 10-year cycle, there may be local areas that have highs and lows opposite to the overall state cycle. Some areas may hold a continued high or low for several years. So eastern cottontails, uh, they usually breed, boy, I think here probably from February until September. 
September, maybe. I think in my and yard they breed year round, and they yeah, <laughs> and the population <laughs> shows it in the uh, the the plants that get decimated. I think that's and you have a lot this year too. I, think I, I do, and you know we've got a bunch of babies, and like I said, we captured the babies and we brought them to some ravine. And it was about a block away, which I'm sure my neighbors will love me now. But but uh, Barb Lampson said, if you only take them a block away, that they will come back. Well, now, why would they come back when there's all these other wonderful yards to go in on the way yeah. back? Well, maybe they'll find a place they like to and say, well, you know, we're not going back because this is pretty cool. They... Uh, they are so cute. Well, they are bunnies. cute when they're little. <laughs> Man, they just, you look out there and you go, oh, but it's the same with raccoons. I look out there and say, oh, look <laughs> at the little baby raccoon. Then in about two weeks, they're just, they're the bane of my existence because yeah. they're driving me crazy. They're, um, their breeding times, uh, it depends on temperature, food, and light. So that's kind of how they determine when they're going to have babies. And I would guess here that our populations are highest in August. And then by November, their numbers may be cut by one-third or more, and then they lose another third by the beginning of the next breeding season. So the average life expectancy for that little bunny that survives to lead the nest is probably 11 months maybe at the most. And, but they begin breeding at two to three months of age. And the females, I suppose they, you know, they could have up to seven litters per year in a perfect year for a cottontail. I would think here they probably usually have three or four. And litter size can be up to 12, and they probably average about five. Uh, Peter Manson of Austin said two upland sandpipers June 1st east of Elkton in a bean field in the midst of a lot of big wind turbines. And there's a, a lot of those over there. Uh, Dave Bear of Fairmont said, Al, I can live with two or three grackles, but when a dozen dominate the feeders and chase off all the other birds but starlings, I get mad. What can be done? I've taken away all the seeds and jelly so they will maybe get out of the habit of coming here. Will they come back when I put out the feed again? You know, removing the feeders for a time might lessen the numbers, but the problem is, is they're nesting in your yard. Uh, uninvited dinner guests are the bane of even the most gracious of hosts, but there, there are ways you could curb the onslaught of ravenous grackles other than hiring a crack team of common grackle scares. And if you do that, make sure they're members of the Scarecrow Union. Uh, feed safflower seeds instead of sunflower seeds. Uh, grackles find safflower the less desirable of the two. Fit cages or uh, screens maybe around the feeders, allowing only smaller birds access to the food. And this could be a homemade thing uh, that you make out of chicken wire, or you can purchase such things commercially. There are hopper-style feeders with weighted perches that close when large birds or squirrels attempt to feed. You could uh, shorten the tube feeder perches so that larger birds can't find footholds, or you can just wait the grackles out because they don't enjoy our winters. And if all else fails, become a fan of the grackle. Get one of those thumb-waving fingers that proclaims grackles as number one, and maybe they'll leave then. Uh, Mark Tullison in New Richland asked about the tail colors of red-tailed hawks. Adults have rufous tails hence the name red-tailed hawk. The juveniles have barred 
brownish tails that don't turn red until the molt of their second summer. And Cynthia Nelson of Alberley asked if rose-breasted grosbeaks are monogamous. Hmm. Uh, once mated, uh, they appear to be. A uh, breeding pair tolerates migrant males in the territory if they're silent. Uh, territorial males will chase away uh, other males. Uh, breeding pairs stay together for a single season, but the research is still lacking on uh, how much actual messing around there is going on there. I'm sure there's probably some. And I hear this from a lot of folks this time of year. Why have the Orioles abandoned my feeders? I didn't do anything wrong. You know, <laughs> Don't they love me anymore? What's the deal? Well, when hungry Orioles arrive in the spring, they take advantage of jelly offered at our feeders. And when nesting and feeding young, the diet changes more to protein-rich insects. Uh, Baltimore Orioles eat a lot of caterpillars. And when the babies come off the nest, they will bring them around and uh, show them your feeders. Uh, Tim and Pat Donahue of Albert Lee feed peanuts to the Blue Jays. Blue Jays love peanuts as a moviegoer loves popcorn. But if Tim is tardy in providing the peanuts, the Jays peer into the window as if asking for some goober peas. Merrill Frydendahl, good friend Merrill, said Brian Frentz is going to have an annual breeding bird survey at Miniopa this Saturday, June 6th. They'll meet at 7 a.m. at the picnic parking lot on the camping side of the park. You will need a park parking permit. And they'll finish the count at 11. So it's 7 to 11. If uh, you plan to attend, and I don't have Merrill's uh, phone number here, but give him a call. You can find it in the book or online. or You can find it everywhere. You know, on, also, those, bird, on those bird yeah. events, can you just show up any time, or do you have to show up from beginning to end, or does it matter? Because, you know, some people maybe think, well, 7 o'clock's a little early for me. So what, what is the protocol or proper etiquette? I think you could show up any time. Yeah, they'd oh, be happy you. to have you. You know, birders are... We're like all cults. We're just happy to have anybody show up and pay a little attention to us. So. Okay. Also this weekend, um, I'm doing a thing on the uh, pelican breeze. Uh, we do a natural history boat tour of Albert Lee Lake, and that's June 7th. And we're doing that at 1.30. If anybody would like to book a seat, it's 373 Two three one six. That's five zero seven number three seven three two three one six. It's great fun. We went out uh, last week, and man, it was just uh, beautiful. All kinds of critters out there. Uh, most coyotes now have given birth to their litters, and the young are either still in the den or they're starting to starting to be active around the den sites. And boy, there's a deer little fawns. The typical time they're born is the end of May and the first part of the June, early June. And we might go some years back to mid-May, but it's towards the end of May and early June. And again, remember, a lone fawn is not abandoned. They're pretty much scent free this time of year. And the doe's defense mechanism is to keep the fawns hidden so predators can't find them. And the mother will come back to feed every few hours. So if you, well, you see a little fawn, they're so cute, too. Anybody that saw Bambi just gets all <laughs> teary-eyed, but just leave it alone and uh, great horned owlets have left the nests, and they are branching, and that means they're hopping from tree to tree, so they're really not adept 
uh, at flying or anything, but they beg for food and make this great screeching. Uh, lots of broods of Canada geese, goslings out there. Snapping turtle hatchlings are emerging from their underground nest trying to find their way to uh, neighboring wetlands. Plants in bloom, probably some wild geranium yet, rue anemone, jack in the pulpits are beautiful. Uh, again, monarch butterflies and swallowtails are around now, so there's some wonderful, wonderful things. As I walked around Flandro yesterday, I, I realized just how lucky I am to be one of those people who can walk around the park and just look at stuff and be happy. Uh, I got a question. I um, bought some lady bugs, you know, the, the lady beetle, not the Asian bugs, but the actual lady beetles that are supposed to be beneficial to your garden. So they mm-hmm. sent, sent them in this um, kind of a little drawstring kind of a linen cloth bag and they said refrigerate them until it's warm enough to let them out. So I've had it in the refrigerator for a while. And so I let them out. This has been maybe three weeks ago or so. And there was, I mean, hundreds of them in this little bag. A lot of them had died, but um, I let them out. And then the next day it poured rain, it poured rain, it poured rain and just didn't stop. So do you think they all died? Because I have not seen any since. I let them all over the yard in different places in the plants, and they have, I mean, there just hasn't been a one that I've been able to find. So do you think no. they, the rain may have gotten them, or, or what? We love the little ladybugs. And they're Remember good. Everybody had T-shirts and hats, <laughs> and uh, every house had a wall hanging of some kind, and they just, we loved them. And then the Asian lady beetles showed up and kind of ruined the ladybugs' reputation. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's some of them out there doing fine. I think I hit one with my car the other day. I didn't know it was yours, Karen, and I, I couldn't. There was a big truck behind me, and I just couldn't. But should I be able to see them? I mean, there were so many that I, like I said, I let out and I put them in in the areas of plants where I thought there might be little insects and aphids that they would eat. But um, like I said, I just haven't been able to see them. And they were called stay-at-home ladybugs, which means they were supposed to, you put them in your yard and they're supposed to stay there. Yeah, right. Hello. Um, Like homing. Yeah. No, so so I was just wondering though, because I, I I felt like oh what a waste. At least I got them at half price, which would kind of soothe me a little bit. But I still felt bad letting them all out and thinking I may have drowned them because we had a lot of rain after uh, I let them out. You know, uh, they're awfully tough though insects. Cause Are you they? Think about ladybugs. They've survived weather like that for eons. So I'm sure they're doing all right. Um, yeah, you lose a lot of them, but that's why they send you a lot of them. So they're, uh, they'll do well, and they'll help you out, because that's the way they are. Ladybugs are nice. They know we have those wall hangings of them in their house. <laughs> well. I've just got two two things here, uh, emails real quick. I'm sorry. Doug Keezer in Minneapolis said he saw a white-eyed vireo at Flandro State Park in a Connecticut warbler, which is really a cool one. And Jerry Pruitt of Rochester said he birded with Jeff Stevenson at Seven Mile Creek. They found a pair of cerulean warblers from along from the paved trail along the creek near the picnic shelters. Nice looks. Those are um, three birds that are really cool to see. It, it, the other day, at a, a well, it's a local cafe, but it was sugar-free, gluten-free, fat-free, and lactose-free. In other words, it was an empty plate. But I told those <laughs> assembled at the table of infant knowledge that a friend, a policeman in Canada, had paid for a class on plants for me as my birthday present. It was uh, botany on the Mountie. 
Karen, thank you, as always, for your wonderful company. I look forward to Tuesdays with Karen. That'd be a great name for a book, one that Tuesdays with Yeah, Karen. good one. Yeah. I uh, I appreciate everybody listening, and, man, it's just really great to hear from all of you. All right, Perry. Uh, it was great to hear from you, Al. We wish you a great week of watching birds, and we'll be back again next Tuesday, okay? Look forward to it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tweet.